Jack guy, Jack guy, two wacky goofballs talking about stuff. Fat guy, Jack guy, two wacky goofballs talking about stuff. Two biological brothers talking. Welcome to Fat Guy, Jack Guy, where today we're packing up all our shit and hitting the road. Let's fucking go. I'm Steph Romino. I'm Brendan Walsh. Today we're going to talk about backpackers. Backpackers? Yeah. And I'll get into what that means, I suppose, <laughs> in a little bit. I assume that there's different definitions of backpacking. There are, and I'm going to focus on the sort of international backpacker. Okay, okay. The, the European, American, oh. Westerner going somewhere else. Yes. The white guy with dreads. The white guy with dreads. Oh, I'm going to talk about that guy. <laughs> guy sucks. Before we get into it, though, you know the deal. <laughs> Patreon.com backslash fatguyjackguy or the links in the show notes. Your support helps us become full-time grifters for as little as $3 a month. You'll get all the bonus episodes. we got a bunch there now. We're trying to do weekly. Patreon is for a lot of goofs, mm -hmm. lists, business meetings, mm -hmm. as we say. If you like us and you want to create a parasocial relationship with that's us. That's a perfect place to go. That's a perfect place. And uh, you'll help us fund the show. We're currently looking into getting some new mics and increasing sound quality. And, of course, we want to do some t-shirts and shit. Yeah, so. we want to do some t-shirts and stuff. Also, you can access it easily if you don't want to go to patreon.com backslash fatguyjackguy by clicking the links in the show notes. So there you go, it's folks. It's that simple, folks. So let's get into it. Let's go. The world famous preamble of a Fat Guy Jack Guy show. <laughs> this is the only podcast with a preamble. <laughs> preamble. Just want to yeah. make everybody aware of that. I'm not going to be annoying about this, <laughs> but I did live in Asia for a couple of years, which is an annoying thing to say. I get that. <laughs> I taught in South Korea for a year out of college, and then I taught on a Fulbright grant in Laos for a year after my master's program. And the years immediately following my returns were spent processing the things that I did eventually became really important in like my early writing career and my first couple of books. My time in Korea was wild and educational and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, but it's clear if you know me that Laos is the thing that I connected with a lot more than that. It was just more my vibe, uh, the people, the language and the culture was really important to who I became immediately after, who I became while I was there, and who I am now. I'm going to do my best to ensure this doesn't sound like a white guy moves to Asia and becomes enlightened story, because that's not what this is. This is actually trying to be the antithesis of that. But I did fucking like living there. It was nice. I don't want to meet the person who visits Laos and is like, man, that kind of sucked, eh, kind of boring. Like, that person just didn't try hard enough. <laughs> They're an asshole. They were like, oh, why is it dirty? How come people are poor? Like, fuck that person. How come people, How come are, poor? people are poor? <laughs> <laughs> fuck that person. I'm sure they exist, and they're probably not listening to this. It's been said by many others, and not just me, that Laos tends to have more chill per capita than anywhere else in the world. It's most notable in the Lao phrase. I wish we could measure that. Yeah, most chill. Chill per capita. Yeah, we need to have a chill ratio, like GDP, of but every, also yeah. chill. Yeah. Because that's really... DP. Because... <laughs> CDP? Chill domestic product? <laughs> domestic, yeah, the domestic product. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. That's science. So this is notable in the Lao phrase, Bopinyang, which is frequently used by Lao people in a variety of situations. It means it's nothing. Like, that's essentially the translation of it. It can be used as like a you're welcome, but it's also used as sort of a catch-all for when you don't want someone to worry about anything. So if someone doesn't have enough money to pay for a coffee, Bopinyang, you just take the coffee anyway. If someone walks into you on the sidewalk, there's no posturing, no one's trying to fight you, Bopinyang, you walk away. Even when I notice, you know, my Lao friends dealing with death or something, Bopinyang, they just say Bopinyang. It sort of shows the intertwinedness of language and culture because this is how Lao people view the world, the bend but don't break, Bopinyang mentality of it, despite all of the shit that has happened to their country since its inception. Which is a lot of shit. Which is a lot of fucked up shit, which we'll yeah. talk about. 
When I lived in Laos, I learned the language in intensive classes. I interacted primarily with Lao people every day, with the exception of some of my uh, co-teachers and great friends. And I adopted the Bopinyang attitude as much as I could, even though that's the antithesis of my New England <laughs> upbringing, which is the opposite, which is just like fucking go after everything, work all the time. Like there's, there's no excusing anything. My students who were college age but living in the city for the first time were not always perfect with completing assignments or comprehending materials. Bopinyang. Sometimes they were absent because they had to return home for harvests or to help their parents plant rice or to run a store or whatever, Bopinyang. During the rainy season, we'd just lose power because the power grid was very precarious and you just like sit in the darkness without air conditioning. It's Bopinyang. I'm not saying that I integrated or something like that. I felt taken care of and happy, but I was always an outsider, which is good. I didn't want to be a person who was just there to like become whatever. Like that's not. I'm not that. I'm not Lao. I can't do that. I wanted to have an experience. You didn't want to become. Yeah, Lao. I will become. I will Lao. become. Lao. I I did not. I I was treated well, and I wanted to be compassionate and generous, and to leave my students and colleagues with more tools. With the tool that I have at my capacity is like my ability to teach language. So I think I did that. Here's the backpacker part. So I noticed very quickly while living in Vientiane, the capital, the proliferation of stinky backpackers. <laughs> this is usually seen in what you brought up, the white European people with dreads and elephant pants. Elephant pants! Oh, trudging God. the hot streets in sandals and an expensive backpack over their so shoulders. Real. They stuck out worse than I did, which is saying something. Because at least I wore slacks <laughs> and cut my hair. <laughs> I became like an old, like these damn hippies with their long hair Fucking and their elephant pants. Freaks. Get a fucking job. Get a job, elephant pants. But seriously, <laughs> there was something of a dismissal of backpackers by other expats, though not Lao people. Lao people weren't like, oh, these stinky, stupid... Well, they sound, from what you've told me, Lao people sound very welcoming yes. to everyone. Yes. So it's kind of, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, they weren't like, uh, like they weren't me. like, get out of my I country, like, you fucking stinky Yeah, I was the one that was like, get out of this country, <laughs> <laughs> which is so stupid. It was hard to get a straight answer about how Lao people felt with so many backpackers, quote, discovering their country... Because it isn't a part of Lao culture to judge outsiders and talk shit, but talking shit is part of my culture yeah. from New England. My friend Megster and I would sit around downtown Vientiane, have a couple of beer Laos, and guess the various ethnicities of these strange, brief creatures known as backpackers, assuming German, French, or Australian. Usually a really solid guess. But if you're lucky enough to hear them talk, you might get Irish, English, Rarely, very rarely Americans. Mm. Sometimes Canadians. So you're seeing a lot of like German, yeah, French, Yeah, I feel Australians. like more Americans go to India. Yeah, they're... For their yeah. self-discovery experience. Yes, that's in uh, yoga retreats. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that all backpackers are annoying. Absolutely not. I have... Most of them are. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I, I've technically done some backpacking, technically, though my home base was still Laos. And I've met wonderful backpackers everywhere. At least in Laos, you'll seldom meet a backpacker who doesn't share a similar worldview about politics, travel, compassion, etc. I mean, these are people generally our age who are pretty cool and they're from these like progressive, normally progressive kinds of countries now. So, you know, they just have like questions about Americans usually. Yeah. Which is fair because I also have questions about Americans. They also usually have like great privilege, which of course. kind of calls into question there. More yeah. View, but yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what's in my notes right after that. Is, Sorry. However, there's so much loaded into this mm -hmm. backpacker lifestyle. It's impossible to consider backpacking in Southeast Asia without acknowledging legacies of colonialism and the continued exploitation of the global south. As an American who lived in Laos, I fully understand the tenuous and problematic nature of white people arriving peacefully. I put that in quotes. <laughs> If you're unaware, Google U.S. secret war and bombing of Laos. <laughs> or you can examine the French colonization of what was once called French Indochina, but we now call Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. The world is better for Southeast Asia now than it has been in the past 70 years because it's not constantly under siege by all it's these Western bombed powers. Every hour of the day. But this relationship with the outside world opened up by tourism and backpackers is harmful in other ways. I'm not saying it's 
totally harmful, but you have to acknowledge the harm that exists. Tourism is harmful no matter where you are. Tourism is harmful here in South Florida. Yeah. It's exploitation no matter what. I would say that it is a, it's a complicated relationship yes. because at the same time it is yeah you need it you need, need it, it right need so it's created it. a, need it. it's created a fucked up system yes <laughs> but like what does that need yeah anyway because i feel more comfortable and knowledgeable discussing backpackers in asia i'm going to focus mainly on that i think for americans who travel less than any other western nation western europe has always been the backpacking destination for mm-hmm. for decades since the 60s 70s but I'm not focusing much on that. I'm not criticizing you if you had like a great time drinking beer in Prague or whatever. <laughs> but the idea of backpacking as discovery and adventure is mostly about the differences between what is described as Eastern and Western cultures. With increased access, places around the world are open up to the positive and negative impacts of global tourism. South American backpacking is now really popular with Westerners, and that is known as the Gringo Trail. In fact, all of these various trails are designated by a blank trail. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about two of those trails, the Hippie Trail and the Banana Pancake mm-hmm. Trail. <laughs> so when did this shit get started was my big question in doing this research. <laughs> Is it, like it so often seems, a rich person gallivanting through the world, blowing their parents' money on equal parts yoga retreats and drug-laced cheap Southeast Asian loggers? <laughs> Or is there something noble (laughs) with this idea of of selected nomadism, as most backpackers would tell you? So these are the big questions that I'm going to try and look at right now. Like, yeah, as you said, there's there's so much fucked up in this. And that can't be untied from the potential positives of this. And I don't... It's hard for me to say because I know that these countries, many of them rely on tourism dollars in many ways exclusively to fund various lifestyle things that like improve quality of life for the people that live there. So it's it's hard for me to like really say, is this negative or positive? I don't think that's the question I want to ask. The question is, what can we do to destroy capitalism (laughs) so we don't have to worry about Mm -hmm. this at all? Yeah. But yes, yeah. yes. The, the bigger there's question no, is... There's no that. negative or positive in this scenario. It's yeah, we're just a mess. People reacting to the world and wanting to experience the world. The issue is that who gets to experience the world on right. their terms. Right. And it tends to be people with great privilege. Yes. <laughs> including me. I mean, I wasn't backpacking in Asia. I was living and teaching and working and making money there. But, like, that was still... a product of my privilege yeah. because I was born in this country. English is my first language. So like I was able to go there and do that. Yeah. It, it's not something that a Lao person be like, I want to teach Lao in the United States. No one's going to fucking, <laughs> nobody gives a shit. Cause, cause of no one's shopping at the chomping at the bit to learn Lao, which we yeah. should be, but we're not. Okay. <laughs> so brother, this one it's it's kind of for you because I mm-hmm. wanted to know who the first backpacker was. Mm-hmm. Who is the first backpacker? I have no idea. How am I, I don't know. Turns out. Also, like, different... Okay, so, like, what is the definition of a backpacker? Yeah. So, what I uncovered, because, of course, there were the first trips of discovery right. by those Europeans who right. were, like, traveling for eventual conquest. This is not that. The first backpacker who wasn't traveling the world out of you know, merchant ships or enslavement or exploration for empire was one of your people. Oh, let's go. These fucking Italians. <laughs> they're always... Oh, the Italian ex-influence. <laughs> they're everywhere. <laughs> it's awful. It wasn't St. Brendan of Ireland, you know, as much as I would like to think that it was. St. Brendan of Ireland traveled to the North American continent on like a mission trip Mm. sort of he went out in his boat and discovered but it's not him the first backpacker Mm -hmm. was this guy named giovanni carreri wow and he circumnavigated the globe using only public transportation Hmm. between 1693 and 1698 public transportation yeah yeah what what was that like well i'll tell (laughs) you how 
And another, another. T- so he's suspected of being the inspiration for Jules Verne's Around the World in Eighty Days. Oh, okay, okay. So this guy was relatively well known at the time because of this trip that he took. He became mm. famous as a person who did this, not part of a navy, not yeah, part, yeah, not yeah. funded by the crown or anything like that. He was just a guy who self-funded a trip around the world for tourism only. Wow. He didn't do it for any other reason. He's like and the he first. And he hit every continent. With the exception of Antarctica, I believe, yes. Oh, maybe not okay, Australia. Maybe not Australia. Okay. But around the world, maybe. He circumnavigated, okay. you know, he okay. went around. So this dude was a lawyer from Torrenova in Calabria. Oh, know, he's a southern Italian guy. There you go. Hey! He's your guy. Those are my real people. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was this lawyer, but he didn't come from a big-time fancy family. He was working on some books before suspending his legal practice because he wanted to travel the world. He didn't have an established aristocratic origin and he was just like, well, I can't really get a foothold in the law because you need to be part of one of the Mm. big time law families or whatever. So he was just like, fuck it, I'm gonna go and travel the world. Mm. He financed his trip through thrift and intelligent grifting. Wow, He was a big time Italian (laughs) grifter. Proud of him. He did this. We really do have a knack for grifting. Yeah, I mean, you guys are the best at organized <laughs> grifting, perhaps. <laughs> we, love to, we, love to, we love to organize a grift. <laughs> so what he did was he bought goods at one port that would enhance in value at the next port oh, and okay. sell them. Okay, that's so, not so much grifting as like good business sense. It's just, yeah, it's just good it's business sense. That's what people sense. do all the time. Yeah, it's it's a normal way of doing things. I would not think of that. Me neither. But he did but it. But I'm an idiot, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're not very smart. He's very smart. Yeah. <laughs> He's this is Giovanni we're talking about here. He's clearly very smart. His trip was. Five years long, and it sounds pretty fucking days. wild. <laughs> no, yeah. Jules Verne was out of, out of his mind Jules, with the 80 days Jules, thing. Jules Verne was fucking up. It's the kind of voyage that would murder most modern people. <laughs> There's a ton of time just sitting in boats trying not to die of various yeah. diseases that you get. Dysentery. Yeah, just try not to yeah. shit yourself to death. Yeah. Also, how do you do this without podcasts? I don't know. <laughs> Like, if I take a three-hour flight, I'm like, if I don't have he so many podcasts. A lot of books. Yeah, just, I guess he was literate at the time, which was a big win. Yeah, thank God for that. Otherwise, what would you do? I, I don't know. I mean, he did do some writing. So, maybe? So, he left us with a book called Giro del Mondo, mm. which was published in 1699 that examines his trip in great detail. So, he must have been doing a lot of writing, note-taking, yeah. and stuff. Apparently, scholars didn't believe this book was authentic for a long time, but discoveries over the years have authenticated wow. most of his experiences. So they he was legit. Him. Yeah, they were like, "There's That's no way." That's that anti-Italian bias. <laughs> Unbelievable. Historians. Unbelievable. <laughs> he was a legit world traveler, and apparently, he just loved talking to people and learning about cultures. And he was, it seems, the Platonic ideal of what a backpacker probably should he be. He was literally the Anthony Bourdain of his time. Yes. Yeah. Probably was. Wow. I wish we had like a reality TV show just following around Giovanni Carrera. That would be dope. Yeah. He was like, oh, I want to try. Uh, Once we get money on the Patreon, we should follow his exact trip. Yes. I mean, it'll take us less than five years. Yeah, it'd be pretty <laughs> quick. <laughs> be like a couple months. <laughs> yeah. So we just need like, I don't know, 20 grand a month. We'll be fine. Be right. We'll make it. We'll make it. So there's a couple quotes from his text regarding how he finances his trip. And this is just an interesting little piece of advice for would-be travelers that he gives. Really quickly, this is what historians consider the first backpacker. Yes. When, they're, when they are conceptualizing backpacking as a cultural experience, yeah. this is what they mean. Yeah, and I guess tourism more generally. Okay. I'm viewing him through the lens of backpacker because he was doing this. We think of backpackers, we think of like probably a slim budget. They're not yeah. staying at fancy places. Yeah. They're staying in hostels. Yeah. He's doing whatever he can just to, like, scrape his way country to country. From one place to the next. For purely for joy reasons. Mm -hmm. Purely for, like, the the love of travel and stuff. So this is his advice for finance. He says, at Bandar Abbas on the Persian Gulf, he asserts, the traveler should pick up dates, wine, spirits, and all the fruits of Persia, which one carries to India, either dried or pickled in vinegar, on which one makes a good profit. Hmm. So this is like he was just buying shit that was famous in one place, taking it to the next place, place, and selling it. Wow. And I guess this worked. Here's some of the highlights of his trip. 
He started in 1693 with a visit to Egypt, Constantinople, and the Holy Land. Mm. After crossing Armenia and Persia, he visited southern India, entered China, where the Jesuit missionaries assumed that such an unusual Italian visitor <laughs> could be a spy working for the Pope. <laughs> this fortuitous misunderstanding opened for Gemelli, that's what they're calling him, many of the most tightly closed doors of the country. Mm. He got to visit the Emperor at Beijing, attended the Lantern Festival celebrations, and toured the Great Wall. From Macau, Carreri sailed to the Philippines, where he stayed two months while waiting for the departure of the Manila Galleon, for which he carried Quicksilver, wow. a 300% profit in Mexico. So he went all the way from the Philippines to Mexico? Yeah, he crossed the That's fucking Pacific in one of those shit boats back oh in the day. God. Yeah, this is how long it took. He described it in his journal. It was a half-year-long trans-oceanic trip to Acapulco, which was a nightmare plagued with bad food, Epidemic outbursts and the occasional storm. Oh my yeah, god. Fucking sucks. Six months? Yeah. On a boat? To bring it back to myself, I really can't stand a four hour flight. I can't. It's too long. I spent ten days getting on and off a cruise ship one time <laughs> in the Mediterranean, and that was like hell to yeah, me. It, okay? Dude. Every time I had to get back on that boat, I nearly cried. He he fucked. This oh guy my ruled. God. So after leaving Mexico City, he visited the city of Puebla de Los Angeles and several towns as he traveled to the port city of Veracruz, where he joined a Spanish fleet mm -hmm. headed toward Cuba. After nearly five years oh, of wandering sure. around the world, he made his way back to Europe when he joined the Spanish treasure fleet in Cuba. And here's a little picture of him. This is the... <laughs> he looks great. Yeah, he looks cool. He's wow. got the old-timey hair. He's, he's got holding the globe. <laughs> he's got the hair. Yeah. So, the bigger the hair, the closer to God. Yes. You know? I, I truly believe I that. I Texas. <laughs> After his dope voyage, the concept of the Grand Tour rose to prominence mm. among the elites of Europe. Yeah, of course. And eventually, with the rise of industrialization, you also have American oligarchs yeah. participating in this idea of the Grand Tour. So it's just like a boat that takes you to all the places that you want to go to, all yeah. the exotic places. This is unquote, the rich exotic. kids. This is the rich kids stuff. Mm. It became a rite of passage for rich losers in England and mm. throughout Europe. <laughs> I like don't, that's our tagline. Don't tag like one. that English people got got the chance to do this. They don't did. Like that at all. Nope. Should only be for <laughs> Italians. <laughs> the purpose of these grand tours was to lend an air of sophistication and a liberal mm -hmm. education to the traveler. Mm -hmm. They'd usually travel mainland Europe, France, Spain, Italy, Greece, what they called the seats of antiquity, mm -hmm. and then go to Austria, Germany, etc. So it was a lot of just like mainland Europe, maybe sometimes visiting the Holy Land. Pretty much, it was a way for fancy boys to be even fancier. Mm. I had to pull this quote because it sums up what this shit was about. <laughs> so this is a quote about the Grand Tour. The British idea of Venice as the locus of decadent Italianate allure made it an epitome and cultural set piece of the Grand Tour. <laughs> <laughs> These fucking decadent Italians. Wow. They're so decadent. They're so decadent. These lazy... Greasy Italians right. with their decadent Venetian That's lifestyles. That's how everybody should be fucking living. It's true. It's Mussolini true. Mussolini took it all away. Yeah, that guy sucks, or man. We could have fucking been chilling. <laughs> I could have been living chilling. that Venetian lifestyle. <laughs> so they would go to these places in the sort of gawker way, where they're going to look and be like, "Oh, right. look at these, look, look at these, these Italians. I can't believe they live like this, but yeah. it's nice and we like it, but it's it's awful. It's bad." Yeah. You should be working your ass off until you die. Mm -hmm. Until you get diseases yeah. and die. <laughs> to me, what these grand tours sound like is our modern equivalent of the rich kid who studies abroad in Spain for a semester. Yeah. They get to drink wine, stay out all night, learn a little bit of Spanish, and then talk about it as a strange mystical land for the rest of their lives. And then they can say things like, oh, the Spanish really have it all figured out. They get to take naps in the middle of the day, but then they go back and work like 60-hour weeks and never have a vacation. <laughs> So, like, what did you really learn from Nothing. living in Spain? So, this is the, the, the grand tour thing. Hmm. How are how you doing so far with this, brother? I'm good. Good. Because yeah. we're about to talk about Mark Twain. Oh, shit. So, Mark... Real. I love Twain. I love... <laughs> I'm a big Twain head. Oh. He's from Connecticut, kind of. <laughs> he had a house in Hartford. <laughs> kind of. No, he lived there. Yeah, he did there. That's different. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from the South, but he's a Connecticut Yankee. You, you people try to take everything <laughs> that we got. Connecticut you, people. You fucking Yankee ass bitches. Twain is ours. 
Mark Twain has a book from 1869 called The Innocence Abroad, yeah. and it mocked the concept of the American Grand Tour. Yeah. In it, he joins a I've ship that. that you've read. Yeah. Really? Yeah. No way. Yeah, because I took a like a literature, like a tourism literature class. Oh. So I read that in like a small place. And a Interesting. Things, yeah. yeah. So you know about this? He, he joins this ship and it stops in well, Western Eastern don't. Europe. Yeah. <laughs> stops in Western Eastern Europe and the Holy Land. Quote. You've read the book. He's I haven't read that the book. He's putting that in quotes every time he yeah. says it. Everybody, just I, so you know. It's just like a weird thing to <laughs> say. It's such a weird thing to say. It seems that Twain is really sort of critical of the old world and how it's presented to Americans, yeah. the old world being Europe. Apparently the book is also kind of anti-Catholic, yeah. <laughs> which is He was a big guy funny. anti-Catholic, yeah, so. You know, because America was predominantly Protestant at the time. He criticizes the affluence of, like, the Catholic Church in contrast to As the destitution of, like, Italian, normal Italian yeah. people. And this is a quote from the text. This is particularly apparent in the section of the, oh no, sorry, the section of dealing with Italy where the poverty of the lay population and the relative affluence of the church are contrast. That's not a quote from the book, but anyway. So Twain is criticizing this, the Grand Tour. It's a big idea throughout all of this 1700s all the way up to like 1900s or so. And which brings us to the modern backpacker. There are some world wars, you know? In between there. In between, like, you know, 1914 to 1945, there were some wars. Nothing that was a big deal, though. Yeah, a lot of people got iced. <laughs> and after that, we get the advent of the modern mm. backpacker. They didn't arrive on the scene until much later because of the wars well, and because, shit. Well, the boys also would have been, like, fighting. Yeah. So they didn't have a lot of options. Teenagers, no, no, no. The, they hadn't even invented the teenager yet. Yes. So yeah, you were you were a kid, and you then were you were a kid, were and then you worked worked, or you went to war. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So we didn't have we 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 didn't have the option <laughs> of going on these backpacking tours, the grand well, we tour. Did. We were not alive. We were not alive, <laughs> nor were our parents. For most of history, before commercial air travel, before any of that. You could not afford to go overseas unless you were super rich and yeah. had massive political power or you were leaving your home to go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Like, those are the two options. <laughs> now there's a little bit of middle, there's a little bit of wiggle room where you can go somewhere else. Other than those select oligarchs, you know, you only emigrated or went to go kill people in a war. Yeah. No travel really existed yeah, other that than that happen. in, like, civilization. However, in the mid-1950s, something called the Hippie Trail mm -hmm. saw a large number of Westerners devote extended time to traveling as cheaply as possible. The Hippie Trail was thousands of miles long and extended between Europe and South Asia, mainly from Turkey through Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India to Nepal, and eventually sometimes Bangkok where people would leave and go back to wherever mm -hmm. they came from. Common destinations in the East included... Delhi, Varanasi, Goa, Bombay, Madras, Kathmandu, and Bangkok. Kathmandu still has a road nicknamed Freak Street <laughs> in commemoration of the many thousands of hippies who pass through. Okay, I kind of love that. Yeah, Freak Street. kind of love that. Yeah, it's fun. There were other points that took you through India, Sri Lanka, maybe sometimes to Australia. So the hippie trail was not a clearly defined thing, and none of these backpacker like trails common... are. Yeah. trip that people took basically yeah and and that's how all of these backpacker trails really are same with the gringo trail and the banana pancake trail it's not like you're definitely going here mm -hmm. it's like you have options if you go to this place mm -hmm. it's like guiding you yeah. towards certain places that are friendly to backpackers that accommodate western tastes and sensibilities mm -hmm. and shit like that of course during the hippie trail this was less of a case there wasn't like a an economy strictly devoted to these right, people like people there is now. Through, yeah. Here's a quote from the Wikipedia entry on the hippie trail. And I gotta say, it sounds a whole lot like modern backpackers. To keep costs low, journeys were carried out by hitchhiking or cheap private buses that traveled the route. There were also trains that traveled part of the way, particularly across Eastern Europe through Turkey and to Tehran or east to Masad, Iran. From these cities, public or private transportation could then be obtained for the remainder of the trip. The bulk of travelers were Western Europeans, North Americans, Australians, and Japanese. Ideas and experiences were exchanged in well-known hostels, hotels, and other gathering spots along the way, such as, uh, you know, this cafe in Istanbul and the street in Kabul. 
And while the majority were young, older people and families occasionally traveled the route, a number drove the entire distance, which is pretty wild. That is wild. Can't do that now. No, that's the thing, right? Is that this is hearkening back to a time before so much I mean, much I would love changed. to drive that entire distance. That it would, would be, be really so dope. Sick. It would be really dope. It's not something you yeah, can't you just can't do that now. drive through Afghanistan now. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as easy as it used to be. You can't drive through like half of the countries that yeah. you mentioned now. It's pretty fucked up. I'd be like, what are you doing here? Yep. This was a different time, folks. The people on the trail tended to travel light and were willing to diverge from their original plans if something more interesting popped up. They'd go where the action was or where there were the most vibes. <laughs> this is a technical term. Here. These are hippies, These folks. Are hippies. They're just following them up. And much different than modern backpackers, I would say. There yeah. were a bunch of famous people who did parts of the hippie trail. We know many of them. A lot of beatniks, including one of my of faves, Allen Ginsberg, yeah. who traveled to South Asia for meditation and drugs and stuff. I don't want to know what else he was there for. Well, yeah, probably doing yeah, some stuff. Bad stuff. Uh, the Beatles famously went to India for an awakening and ended up producing a bunch of, you know, very famous shit as a result. Yeah, people like them. Yeah, people love them Beatles. <laughs> I prefer Paul McCartney when he was in Wings. Yeah, gonna, Wings. We're probably gonna have some hate mail for that. <laughs> <laughs> Send us any mail, please. <laughs> I'd love to see some mail. But all of the good things for hippies must come to an end. So too. That's what they always say. Yeah, all good things for hippies must come to an end. Wait, before you get there, yeah. can we just take a moment to like deeply, deeply respect the insane couples that were bringing their children with oh, them? Oh yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And you can see them in your head, you know, like... Oh, my God. Because those couples, like, now their kids are baby boomers, and those baby boomers are either, like, fucking whacked-out hippie people or fucking shitty <laughs> Trump people. Like, <laughs> they're the guy that you they're see survivalist. at the farmer's market. <laughs> yeah, or survivalists. <laughs> they have 2,500 guns yeah, in there. Yeah, it's like, oh, I remember my mom and dad brought me to, like, Kathmandu when yeah. I was six. Yeah, I cannot... I can't imagine bringing a child to a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> it's so clear that we're like unequipped to live. <laughs> the idea of bringing a child backpacking yeah. where we might have to like get on buses and stuff. Oh, it's, no, it's wild. Not. And they were doing air travel, commercial That's air it. travel in the 50s. In the 50s yeah, but that, that commercial air travel back then was better than now. I mean... Yeah, they sure, you could, room. like, drink and smoke you and stuff. You could smoke, you could drink, you had a meal. still was, like, it was a new thing. It was a new thing, but, I mean, much more comfortable. Yes, yeah, you're you know? probably chilling a lot yeah, more. It was really, it's really the buses and the trains I'm thinking But about. you couldn't watch anything. All right. Well, that would be too much for me. You couldn't watch anything, but, yeah. like... No podcast. Yeah, but, like, you're... You get obliterated. Yeah, <laughs> it's so fucked fall up. Fall asleep and then wake <laughs> up in a new country. It's fine. <laughs> yes, it's true. People brought their kids on this. Crazy. Hippie trail was a big thing. And an interesting phenomenon that like straight up ended. Yeah. Which oh, is yeah, not something that happens all the time, right? The hippie trail came to an end in the late 70s with all of these political changes in previously hospitable sense. countries. I mean, 79, you have the Iranian Revolution yeah. and the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. That closes down Iran and Afghanistan. Yeah. And, like, most of the South Asian route. So you can't do that whole thing because yeah. Iran and Afghanistan are, like, kind of really important parts of this trip. Yeah. Kashmir became less inviting due to tensions in the area. I'm guessing it must have stopped around the time of the Vietnam War was going on, right? No, 79 is what they say was wow. kind of like the okay. end. Yeah, and, and during so the Vietnam after, War, there was still, yeah, there was still... So they were still traveling, and they just weren't going that far east, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah, the, yeah, the East Asia and Southeast Asia weren't really part of the hippie trail. The hippie oh, okay. trail was more like Middle East and South yeah. Asia, okay. which is interesting when you think about our modern conception of these mm -hmm. places. That's a relatively new conception. Yeah. These used to be places where you'd be like, oh my gosh, the nicest people in the world, the most peaceful places in the world. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the authors that we grew up reading and liking, they went and hung out in these places all the time. Yeah. You know? But, like, then you had 9-11, like and like, it was like, these people all the are time evil. Yeah. And, like, hanging out there. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Because everything changed. Other factors that led to difficult conditions for travelers, the Sour Revolution in 1978 and the advent of military dictatorship in Pakistan in mm -hmm. 1977 that banned many hippie attractions. So mm -hmm. the hippie trail just fucking iced. Yeah, they no more of that down. shit. Like, See ya. See you later, hippies. <laughs> and like, 
I'm not, you know, calling into question the choices to shut down the hippie trail because, you know, maybe that's what the people wanted. I don't think they were consciously shutting down. No, no, no. They weren't like, we must shut down. Shit was happening. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, they started the revolution to purposely shut down the hippie trail. We gotta close all these. I was like, we gotta do this now. All these fucking, you know, hookah places (laughs) and shit. No more. But I mean, these fucking white people out of here. There is a thing where Western influence was obviously vilified. Yeah, of course. For reasonable reasons. And the hippie trail is a big part of that Western. Even though the hippies didn't think that they were Western influence, they thought that they were like doing Eastern shit. Yeah. So they're bringing in this Western idea of Eastern shit. And Eastern people are like, you guys are still fucking Western. Yeah, they're still participating in Orientalism. Yes. That's, you know, even if you think you're not, you probably are. Yeah, you are. You know? And so. Like to a certain extent, any of us going over there are participating in that. Yeah. Which is part of the complication that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. You know? And so the hippie trail is dead. And now we go to part four, which is what I know mostly, which is the banana pancake trail. Mm. This is the trail that I lived on. I lived right in the middle of this trail. So honestly. This was in East Asia. Southeast Asia. Southeast yeah. Asia. Okay. I didn't know that it was called the Banana Pancake Trail, but it makes sense. I always name. called it the, the Falang Trail because the word for foreigner in Lao and Thai is Falang. Mm-hmm. This is why it's called the Banana Pancake Trail, according to mm-hmm. my research. These trails pop up when there's an influx of Western backpackers in an area that leads to a rise in the number of restaurants serving food adapted to mm-hmm. Western desires. Which includes banana pancakes and other comfort foods such as yogurt with muesli and honey. That was something that I saw at like every hotel I stayed at. They had the option of banana pancakes or yogurt with muesli and honey. Which is like super European. Yeah. Also, but like banana pancakes are super European? Are they? They're, well, yeah, I think. That feels like crazy American. It does feel American, but I guess the way that it's made, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it's Western Western palate. So these people who have been traveling in a country that they yeah. are not familiar with the food and they want something that they're just like, okay, I know I'm going to eat this and be yeah, okay. Yeah, because that's why I travel. I want to yes. go eat my own food. I just want to go eat... <laughs> I want to go eat yogurt somewhere. <laughs> How far can I take a plane ride to eat the yogurt? The whole reason why I travel is because when I get there, I'll be able to eat my own food, but just like in another place. <laughs> yeah, I just want to see people that don't look quite the same while I chomp down on my yogs. So... There are predominantly Western food options with a few, like, dishes of the place Mm -hmm. thrown in. This is what I always observed. So if you go to, like, a restaurant that in Vientiane that serves tourists primarily, they'll also have, like, you know, like a potka pao and, like, a lob. But mostly you're there for, like, the hamburger or whatever, which is an interesting thing. I'm not saying I'm not guilty of eating Western food when I lived there. Yeah, of course. But I I did live there for a year. Yeah. It's a long time. I mean, and it's also just there for like a few days or a couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and I get it. People get diarrhea a lot, you know, whatever. In places, (laughs) places like Vang Vieng, which is one of the most. That's a rite of passage. You should get diarrhea when you get Yeah, I I believe. I believe you should have horrible diarrhea. (laughs) It's just what I believe, folks. It's a rite of passage. Yeah, it is. Vang Vieng, which is one of the most beautiful places in the world, in my opinion. It's in uh, north of the capital, Vientiane in Laos. I got probably the the best chicken bacon sandwich in my nice. life one night. Nice. But you'll get more of that than you will get lob and sticky rice and like traditional Lao foods yeah. there. So certain places on the banana pancake trail, it's only catering to Western palates because, because they know they're coming. Yeah, this and this is the money, and you can charge yeah. a lot more for that. Yeah. So that's what's up. Just like the hippie trail, the banana pancake trail isn't very fleshed out. It refers loosely to Southeast Asian backpacking trails in Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, Malaysia, and Indonesia. Mm-hmm. It's a conglomeration of spots around Southeast Asia that saw a lot of Western tourism. And so they began to accommodate them because they wanted to make, yeah, they wanted to make that money. money. Yeah. That's what happens. You As feel the market's demands. Yeah. You've got to make that money. They're coming anyway. Rip these people off. Rip them off. I'm yeah. totally on board. I mean, I've, I, I'm, that's not surprising to me that they're charging more like yeah. they should be they should be if somebody's coming into your place you should be able to you know yeah i'm 100 yeah. percent in favor of that yeah. and it would be one of those things when i would interact with a backpacker or something 
and we would be haggling for prices for like a cab or a tuk-tuk yeah. or something, these backpackers would be so concerned about being ripped off. Mm-hmm. And they'd always ask me because I'd be like communicating in Lao with the, with the guy and they'd be like, are they ripping me off? Is this person ripping me off? It's like, fuck you. Yeah. Oh, you're going to pay $4 instead yeah. of $2? Pay the four yeah. fucking dollars. Your money is worth so much. Our money is worth so much more there. Yes. So it's like, what are you complaining about? I just, th- there was this, there's this weird, Very like, strange. fear of being ripped off that gets in the way of people just living and enjoying themselves. I can understand that feeling in, like, all of Europe. Sure. Because our money is worth so much less there. Mm-hmm. But, like, to go somewhere where our money is worth just an incredible amount more. Yeah, and then to be concerned about that is a little insane to me. Yeah, and it's I also crazy making. I, I if I was on a trip with it. someone like that, I would be yeah. like, "We gotta go our separate yeah, ways." Yeah, sorry, fuck you. We're traveling the banana pancake <laughs> on our own. We're separating <laughs> at Banana Pancake Avenue. <laughs> yeah, I, I root for the people who are uh, charging more because yeah. that—that's you're right. You're yeah. allowed to do that. Yeah. Also, they have an understanding that like. Our money is worth a lot more. Yeah, and you should pay more. It's fine. The origins of these trails, much like the name, aren't 100% certain, but it rose to prominence sometime in the 90s. Once places like Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam became more friendly to Western visitors. In case you've forgotten, listeners, this region was heavily destabilized (laughs) by the American offenses in Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia, and the region hadn't recovered. You can see the Cambodian genocide, for instance. Until well into the early 90s, Cambodia and Laos were much more close to tourism until decades after the conflicts. Remember still that Laos and Cambodia are like two of the poorest nations in the entire world. So to say they're recovered isn't entirely true. However, they are peaceful and mostly safe, unless you count like, you know, diarrhea, malaria, (laughs) auto wrecks, like, you know, shit that'll take you out. But no one's like going to, it's much more dangerous to be in the United States than in those places in terms of like people coming after you but yeah these are safe places 90s is when this happens when it seems like it happens and the banana pancake trail seems to sprout from what people call guidebook travel Uh, so you get these things like lonely planet coming out and they guide people to well-known spots rather than send them off on an adventure into the unknown which is what Carreri was all right. about the original backpacker. He was like, "I'm just gonna fucking do it." We're we're we've deviated from the mission. Here. We really have. So backpackers will meet up on well-trod ground. They'll drink, talk, do drugs, and hang out shirtless, even in places where that isn't the custom. Um, <laughs> They'll do drugs in places where it's highly illegal yeah, to do just drugs. Do and the you fucking could, like, drugs. Go Jail for the rest of your life yes, in those places? Yes, absolutely. There's but, some movies about this, folks. <laughs> yeah, you've all seen Leo in The Beach. The Beach or Broke Down Palace. That's Claire Danes. Broke Down Palace. What? Is yeah. that a dope movie? No, not really. But uh, they, it's a it's based on a true story where two girls, a guy snuck drugs into their mm. into their like bags and then they went to the airport and got oh, caught. That sucks. I forget which country yeah. they were in, but Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things that because of the natures of the places that people go and because of the internalized imperialism that a lot of westerners have when they go to a place they feel invincible yeah and that leads to some pretty fucked up consequences which i'm about to talk about just one out of personal experience i mentioned vong viang earlier the Mm -hmm. place where you get a chicken bacon sandwich on the street (laughs) get a nice chicken bacon sandwich yeah it's an absolutely breathtaking mountain village surrounded by rivers and the nicest people ever, all these villages. It earned a reputation as being somewhat lawless hmm. and a backpacker's paradise of sorts throughout the late 90s, early 2000s. By the time that I had arrived, several Australian backpackers had died while tubing on the river Whoa. and jumping off of clearly marked unsafe rocks. Like, this is Laos. It's not like a fence or anything. Yeah. It just says unsafe, don't jump. Yeah. And then they would jump and they would and they fucking died because they were also doing a lot of drugs and Holy drinking and stuff. I'm not trying to blame the victim, I'm just saying like this can happen. Yeah. And so the Lao government had just limited tourism because of how many backpackers had taken a bunch of drugs, oh my God. drank a bunch of beer Laos, and then just drowned in the river. That's insane. So yeah, I'm not blaming anyone, but when you have uncontrolled drugs, corrupt law enforcement, mm-hmm. recklessness of backpackers, feeling invincible in this tiny poor country. 
most likely there's a combination that's not going to result in like everyone just like feeling safe. Yes. Bad shit can happen. Yeah. So it's it's the modern day backpackers are not the hippie trail backpackers because of the fact that it's opened up to so many more people, I think. Yeah. Because you get a lot of bros out there too. Right. There's it's not a discovery of like a new place or experiencing a new place. It's I'm going to go like be an idiot in yeah. this new place basically. I want somewhere where I feel freer. Mhm. Yeah. Just to get fucking wasted yeah. and which, like, don't get me wrong, on any vacation, you deserve to get wasted. Sure. But, like, it's also not a playground. Yeah, it's not a playground. And yeah. that's, I think that's the thing that, I'm not trying to, like, understand, what because the Lao government is also, like, super fucked up. I'm not going to be yeah. like, oh, the good guys. But I think that the idea of it being a playground for Westerners to come and burden a system that is not equipped, yeah. like a healthcare system that is not equipped yeah. to deal with all these Westerners getting fucked up and like hurt and dying in their little yeah, village. Yeah, there's a difference between an emergency and like literally putting yourself at risk. Yes, exactly. Yeah, totally. And so there's a lack of reading the room with yes, modern backpackers. Yeah. I'm not saying all, once again, not saying yeah. all, but you will see a lot of just like British bros getting yeah. wasted in little Vong Vieng as though they're at home and whatever. London. I don't know where the fuck British people are from. Yeah. Newcastle. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't give a shit where you know? from. And so, like, <laughs> and so that kind of shit is like the one of the major problems that I see with the banana pancake trail and what I've yeah. encountered there. And also, you've got really fucked up shit like sex tourism. Right. That, That's really the big thing yes. that is always concerning to me. And backpackers are not as a whole taking part in this, but I'm not going to pretend that this is not also a part oh, yeah. of... Oh, They're definitely... I mean, there are some that are. Especially in Thailand and yeah. Cambodia. Like, it it can be particularly I, fucking gross, you know? And I'm sure that that's true for the ones who are backpacking through South America. Yeah, oh, definitely. Because there's sex tourism there as well. Yeah. So, these popular places in Southeast Asia and South Asia on the Banana Pancake Trail... I'm not going to go through everything, but Nepal, India, Myanmar has just recently opened mm. up. So places in Myanmar are like the That's new, new hotspot. Hot yeah. It's harder to get into Myanmar than yeah. it is to Thailand or Laos um, or Cambodia. But like people will go there now because you want to see what other people haven't really seen. Right. There's less protection around some of the ruins and stuff. So in Myanmar, you can kind of just like walk up and touch these things, I guess. Thailand obviously is super popular. Bangkok, you have Khoi San Road, Chiang Mai, all these places really popular among backpackers. Laos, you have Vang Vieng, Luang Prabang, Sipandon, one of my favorite places, Cambodia, Vietnam, Indonesia, Philippines. Most commonly, people go through Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, then to Siem Reap and see Angkor Wat. That's like a really popular mm-hmm. banana pancake trail thing. Another one is to follow like the Mekong River, go to the Mekong Delta in Vietnam. You'll notice some interesting stuff as a backpacker uh, or as an expat when you live there is that many backpackers like really try their best but miss the mark. Yeah. I'm not saying that these are bad people. I want to no. like say that a lot. These are like well-meaning white yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, well-meaning white people. <laughs> well-meaning white people cause a lot of trouble. Sure, yeah. I mean, I'm not faulting them for that. It's difficult to learn enough of like the two to four languages and multiple customs yeah. that you'd need to go through one leg of the Southeast Asia banana pancake trail. But this speaks to a larger discussion of conscious travel. Mm -hmm. I don't think that most people head to Southeast Asia to be like malicious and hurt people. They want to see different places. They want to meet cool people. Everybody wants to do that. But if you go in without an understanding of like the complex history of Western aggression in these places, then you're kind of just being a dick. An An additional thing I noted was that there are now more Korean backpackers than ever before. Interesting. Yeah. That speaks to the economic changes in that in South Korea. Yeah. Over the last 35 years. Exactly, yeah. They, Koreans now make up, or Southeast Asia makes up 54% of all South Korean international destinations. Hmm. What's funny is that even the Koreans and Japanese people that I met, well, as an expat, they still dress like the rest of the backpackers. <laughs> So they were still yeah. in elephant pants? Everybody's wearing elephant pants. Yeah. You're going to have like your, your dreads. You're going to be doing all the same shit. God. 
it's like you become part of like the backpacker club yeah. and you gotta buy your elephant pants i think it's really interesting too you were just mentioning you know people it's hard yes if you're going to like multiple places you're hitting multiple places in like a month mm-hmm. it's hard to learn the languages and the customs and what is expected of you that's it, it's reasonable that you won't mm-hmm. but like to not learn anything is wild to me as someone who has not i haven't traveled internationally a lot but the the time that i did i felt bad going to europe not really having any grasp on like the french or italian language Mm -hmm. you know and they're used to that like that's okay for them i mean the french don't really like it but they have adapted to that being the reality and also it's france like it's not yeah (laughs) It's not some place that has had this, like, Western intrusion. Mm -hmm. So I felt bad, like, with that little bit. And I can't imagine these people, like, just being like, I'm just going to go and not know a single thing. That's kind of wild to me. It is. And, and again, it goes back, yes, these these people are well-meaning enough, but it does speak to that Western view of the world's going to bend to me, so I don't need to, like, do anything Mm -hmm. to bend to it. You know? Yeah, it, it is exactly that. Yeah. And it's this arrogance that people don't even perceive as arrogance that they have. Right. right? It's just like, all right, let's just come on, world. Yeah. Make it happen yeah. for me. I want to have my special experience. Yeah. But I'm not going to take, I don't know, a month before yeah. to learn some pretty basic stuff to get yeah. by. Yeah. Which, yeah, that's work. But, like, travel should also be kind of work. Yeah, like, it should be. You shouldn't just get to pick up and go anytime you want. If you want to have a nice time on a trip, come down to Florida. Yeah. Okay? I, I'm not, I don't want to, well, like, step on your toes or anything. It's but. not like there's not great traveling through the entire United States. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you should not leave the United States. You should. You definitely but should. But I'm saying, like, you still, if you... If you're not ready to make the commitment yes. to a place, right? Mm-hmm. There's plenty that you can do here and in Canada that while you're getting ready to go on this like big, bigger trip, you can do these like smaller trips sure. or whatever. Like even for me, one of the things that I desperately want to do in my life is not backpack, but like travel through South America and Central America. And that's part of the motivation to like learn Spanish, why I'm yeah. learning Spanish right now, mm-hmm. you know? Because I don't want to go there and be an asshole yep i want to be able to go to the little places and like talk to, even if it's just like a little conversation and it's something more complicated i want to be able to go to those little villages and like have conversations with those people yep the best that i can yeah you know at least the people who speak spanish because i know some of them don't right mm-hmm. but the people who can speak with me i want to be able to yeah so it's like i don't know and in the meantime i'm gonna go to places that i can go to yeah i think that that's that's really important because there is a drive that a lot of people have like, oh, I got to go here. I got to see this yeah. thing. I got to see this thing. And it's like, if you're not ready to like be totally accommodating yeah. to the people that and are accommodating you and yeah. respectful, then you're not ready to do that. Yeah. I think that's something that I learned because like I have done a fair bit of international travel yeah. and like it took me until pretty much living in Laos to like really understand that and embody that. Like when I was living in Korea, I did my best, but I, I mean, not my best. I did okay. I could have done better. I was 22. I was stupid. Yeah, you're a kid. But, like, I just, I can't really tolerate people going to a place and not even giving it a shot. Like, if you don't feel comfortable, if you were stranded at a bus station in, I don't know, somewhere in Vietnam and you didn't know how to communicate, like, I need to get to this place and talk to another person, like, maybe you shouldn't be there. Yeah. (laughs) it's also just dangerous it's just yeah it really is just dangerous it's about safety it's also about like you know cover your ass like be like Giovanni Carreri or Giovanni I don't even know what his name was he's Italian (laughs) alright final part part five is backpacking good or bad (laughs) that's just a clickbait that's just a clickbait part (laughs) obviously there's no correct answer here to many people in the west backpacking through Europe or south and southeast asia sounds like an absolute dream and i i totally understand that you have months with no like definitive destination you got sex with like random hot french chicks at a hostel and <laughs> smelly also. <laughs> smelly hot sex we call that trail tail <laughs> oh god yeah Ugh. you got smart progressive young Just... people 
That's then you're really living the uh, Giovanni. Yeah, I'm sure he got a lot of trouble. It was tail. smelly back then. It was. So then you're really that's sticking to the mission. That's the mission. <laughs> be as disgusting as you possibly can be. You're meeting all these people that are wonderful <laughs> and looking to find something spiritual and social and pure. That's great. Yeah. I have no problem with that as like a backpacker ideal and mentality. That is a noble cause, and in an ideal world. That should be something available to all of us, yes. and, and I truly believe that. I don't, I don't think anyone should like not travel as a result yeah. of this. We all have somewhere in our blood this nomadic urge to travel in peace. It's like part of who we are as a species. Yeah. We were nomads before we had to settle down. It's stronger in some of us than others, but it's there. I mean, it's been a part of global society for centuries. Coupled with that peaceful travel, however, is the devastation of imperialism. Yeah. And imperial capitalism and things like that. Outsiders around the world have traveled with malice, swinging swords or flying bombers intent only on theft and destruction. I'm not so sure the two can be like evenly split. Like, right. oh no, I'm a good guy. I'm not here with my bombs this time. So the intentions are different, but the privilege to be a backpacker relies on your nation's relationship to colonization. Yeah. As an American or a German or a Brit or a French person... Like, you can go to most places, but if I was from Nigeria or Vietnam, even if I had the money, the process wouldn't be so yeah, simple. Yeah, it wouldn't be easy at all. Like, I couldn't just be like, oh, I'm going to go to the village. We're going to get a visa. No, 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 it's not going to be that simple. So, like, even that, just the simple process of, like, I can go to Thailand tomorrow and get in because I'm American. Mm -hmm. My girlfriend, who is Kenyan, yeah. would have to apply to it for a visa for, like, 15 months. Yeah. Some crazy shit like that. Yeah. It's not so simple. Once I arrived, I wouldn't be able to, like, you know, tote my white privilege around anywhere if I was from one of these places like Nigeria yeah. or Vietnam. <laughs> Backpacking, although it is available to many more people than ever before, it's still a purview of privileged people from colonizing countries. Yeah. It sucks, but this is a very harsh truth. Yes, it's available, but are you coming with all of this historical baggage, yeah. too? Yeah. And should you? Yeah. There are some places that I th are like off my list. We've already said Papua New Guinea is off our yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> never going there. Unfortunately, you know, there's some places I could not imagine like comfortably going. Yeah, it's but fair I don't enough. mean comfortably because I'm scared of that. Yeah, I mean comfortably because of who I represent and like what I represent. Yeah, I think Even that's if I fair. I don't want to. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, totally fair. I think that with this privilege and with this acknowledgement comes responsibility to not be a fucking piece of shit, to spend your money wisely and generously, to learn languages, customs, general etiquette, and to stay as safe as possible so you don't overburden healthcare systems yeah. that might not be able to accommodate you because they're barely able to accommodate citizens of that country. Yeah. Like, if you want to just have a fucking fun time and go on, like, a motorbiking trip in Cambodia and then you get in an accident, like... Yeah. What the fuck are we doing to take care of you? Why not go on a motorbiking trip through Arizona? <laughs> yeah, good call. Yeah. Or up the coast of California. Yeah. I want to do that. It's not as uh, it's not as dangerous. Me, but yeah. I want to. Be I on definitely don't want to do that. I want to be on a motorcycle on the Pacific Coast Highway. Yeah, I mean, it's I not was. Not gonna happen. Maybe a convertible. Maybe one day. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. The other important truth in examining the goodness of backpacking is the role of tourist money in local economies. Right. I know I mentioned this before and we talked about this already, but like many places are like totally reliant on yeah. tourist money and backpacker money specifically. Even though backpackers don't have that much money and they kind of bum around, they still have a lot of money in comparison to most mm -hmm. of the people that are servicing them. Without backpackers eating like banana pancakes and drinking thousands of these local beers every night... <laughs> Um, some places just wouldn't be able to survive. I don't think that this is sustainable in the long term. I don't think this is how economies should be built, but this is how certain economies are built, mm -hmm. <laughs> including like South Florida's economy yeah, is really totally. relying on tourism yeah. and people coming from other places because it's nice. South Florida, Central Florida, yeah. pretty much all of it. The whole thing is a fucking sham. Mm -hmm. But like in the short term, we do have to acknowledge that like part of this goodness is that they are helping keep local economies afloat right. even if it's through fucked up means yeah now i'm not saying fucked up means isn't like super i'm just saying like banana pancake yeah. means <laughs> not banana like really fucked up <laughs> yeah there are some other really interesting resources that i love one of my favorite things is this 
do or don't help her for travelers to Laos, hmm. and I want to show it to you. This, this isn't gonna be this isn't gonna be great radio, but let me open this link. Do or don't help her. Yeah. So the, I think it's like a tourism board of Laos. I don't even know if that exists, but like. They created a little cheat guide. Yeah, a little cheat guide of like what not to do in Laos. And so they have some great little some comics. Yeah. And so the it says like the greeting for in Laos is sub ID and you will like bow to your mm. whatever person you're greeting. And then they always have two Lao people doing it properly. And then they have a shitty <laughs> white dreaded backpacker just That's like really funny. kissing this loud yeah. person as a way to greet them because he's a dirty european like, no don't do that so they go through and like all the things that you're not supposed to do in lao they have the backpackers doing that yeah, thing yeah 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 and so it's clear that like this is don't a don't touch the ruins yeah, don't touch a monk in buddhist culture oh of laos gosh. and they have this guy taking pictures of monk and this woman touching him and like you're not allowed to Absolutely touch monks not. Touching this person on the head. So, like, they, they are trying to, like, show... Yeah, what you can and can't do. Yeah, what you can and can't do. It's a little cheat guide. It's a cheat guide, and I just love it because you I saw this everywhere. Yeah, look at the cheat guide. Don't be a piece of yeah. fucking shit. You got an iPhone now. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is I guess, a broad brush history of backpacking. Yeah. We start with uh, the Italian guy. Yeah. And he does what I consider to be the platonic ideal of... Yes. Backpacking. Yeah, very Anthony Bourdain ideal. Very much so. modernize it. And if you are a watcher of Anthony Bourdain, you notice that he really believes in kind of what we're talking about, this idea of conscious travel. Yeah. Being generous, being quiet, like being fucking, shut your fucking mouth. mouth. Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't know where you are. Like to be an obnoxious tourist, I know it's like an American stereotype, but it extends to most Westerners. Like. To say that Brits aren't the worst tourists in the world, I think, is really... Yeah. Is, they're the worst. They're worse than Americans. Well, you know, they always try to use us to cover their shit. <laughs> Listen, Americans suck, like, Americans but you guys suck, suck but too. like, you gotta admit you suck. <laughs> we admit it all the time. Yeah. You gotta do it, too. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think a lot of them You can't do, pretend probably. just because we exist that yeah. you're not bad, we which are, is what they do. We are big and loud and shitty, but... Yeah, but yeah. come on. So, so are, are you. Yeah. <laughs> Totally forgot what I was saying about the British rant. Uh, I love British people. I love this anti-British yeah. podcast. <laughs> We're an anti-Brit podcast. Yeah. Somebody has to be. Yeah, I was talking about Bourdain. Yeah, oh, yeah. he really did like embody this what I consider to be the the right way to travel. Yes, and I mean you know also that is he can be that way because. He can hire an interpreter yep. and like yeah. all these, you know, it's like yeah. Martin and all of this stuff and that is true. But I think his general philosophy about traveling is something that we can all learn from. Whereas like you learn as much as you can before you go. Mm-hmm. You maybe don't, learn, obviously you can't learn every language, but you learn as much as you can before you go. When you get there, you shut the fuck up and you listen to the people who mm-hmm. are there, right? <laughs> you ask for help from people who can help you, not mm-hmm. expecting every single person that you encounter is going to be able to help you, right? So they're like very basic. If you just like watch his shows, they're very basic things that he does that you can learn from by his example, Yeah. right? And yes, you don't get to like hire the interpreter every single time or the driver that will speak your language every single time, but at least those things that I mentioned, that little that short little list that I mentioned, you can at least do those things, right? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, to use, I guess, like a tired kind of metaphor, but if you go into someone else's house, you should expect to follow their rules. Right. Totally. and. totally. When Westerners travel to other places, we don't apply that logic. Right. We're just like, oh, well, I have these, I have this right and these rules right. apply to me in my place. And I'm going to bring those here and uh, shut the fuck up. Yeah, just shut the fuck up. That's <laughs> Backpackers, right. shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Any travelers, really, yeah. you got to say. Yeah, just shut the fuck up. I don't mean like when you're, tra- I don't think that that same, that same approach applies in the U.S., but if you're going... If you're traveling in the U.S., if you're and a lot of people do backpack through the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. So if you're traveling through the U.S., you have to you don't have to worry quite as much, but you are entering different cultures state by state. You are, yeah. And there are different rules, mm-hmm. and you kind of have to at least be a little bit aware of that fact because they're you're going to be treated differently in like New Mexico than you are in Mississippi. Yeah. 
that's just kind of the way that it is. The classic yeah. New Mexico Mississippi divide. <laughs> you know it. I'm just saying they're different. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're two different. things that are completely different. You yeah. know, those are two places that are completely different. Yeah. So you're gonna get some different reactions to things you say and things you do and how you present yourself and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think uh, it's this is. A interesting conversation to have because I do feel like my life has changed drastically in how I understand travel and how I understand yeah. tourism. I think as young people, those of us who get bit by the travel bug yeah. are all about like, oh, you got to see as many countries yeah. as a passport, blah, 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 blah. And it clouds an understanding of like, why are you even fucking doing this? Yeah. Are you doing this because you want to have a sincere experience or are you doing it because you have some other anxiety about not doing it yeah totally i mean i I have i've had a lot more time to think about it because i did not have the privilege financially of traveling in that way when i was younger and i still kind of don't like i could do some things but there's a lot of things that i'm i still financially crazy expensive but i have i've had more time to think about it so i recognize that that i didn't as a 22 year old like pack up my shit and go somewhere and Mm -hmm. and it was more like i was learning about different things at that time that told me oh maybe like you should rethink this whole tourism yeah you'll be better off doing it later with a greater understanding of like that place yeah yeah, i yeah really believe that and i think that a lot of people dump their like travel bag like really early in life to be like oh i did it now i'm like i've done it i've lived a full life what's the rest yeah i don't know what's the rest and I do, I highly recommend as somebody who has traveled around the United States, I really highly recommend people doing that as well. Mm-hmm. I think, yes, it is important to get out of where you're from, but there are things that you'll see that you'll, you will not, you'll, there are things you'll see here that you will not see anywhere else too. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not ready for that big, like, banana pancake trail lifestyle, <laughs> maybe you travel the south the american southwest yeah. you know i mean there are na- so many nations within this country yes totally like literal nations and also like different viewpoints of the world just and shit living like differently yeah. and there's so many beautiful things to see yeah wow look at this this is the pro america podcast <laughs> no, fourth of july not. weekend <laughs> we're Real. just talking about the land <laughs> USA, oh, God, USA. Disgusting. Um, yeah, great conversation. I, I, what did you learn? Did you learn some shit? Yeah, everything really? was. I mean, I learned. Oh, everything was new to me. Everything. I didn't really consider backpackers, except for like the people that I passed as like a car full of us was yeah. like driving past them because we were doing road trips instead of backpacking. Yeah. You know, I didn't really like think about them too much, but yeah, everything is new to me. Everything that you said was new. Dope. Yeah, I'm glad that it started with my people. As you yeah, know. well, they hey, always... These let's Italians. Let's go, these Italians. That's Italian excellence <laughs> right there, baby. All right, well, I guess that's how we're going to end <laughs> this episode. I'm Stefan Reno. I'm Brennan Walsh. Thank y'all for listening. <laughs> <laughs>